Have a seat. Have a seat. Man, I love Rob and his heart and his ministry and, um, and his band, his team. I love you guys. So grateful to be here. The leaders, the staff, all of you that have been praying, praying over this weekend. College students giving up your weekends, coming up here. Wade forgot to mention OBU. Any OBU students in the house? One, Callie, yes. Well, we're just going to keep praying for salvation, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, <clears throat> Wade and I just talked about just the very, the thickness of God and his working. Um, and it, and it just, I'm telling you guys, it wasn't, I know this is expected from camps and one weekends and stuff, but I've been, I've been to plenty of those, but it was just from the very start, just, you just knew that those prayers were being heard and being answered. And uh, so, so Friday night, um, we were, uh, my wife and I, which my wife, Katie Sears, rock star of the century, brings all four kids up all weekend long because she just misses you guys. We miss you guys. We just want to be here. And we're here till like midnight with you crazy fools. And um, Friday night we're singing and uh, my son, Boston, um, he just is, he's just, he's watching, he's observing um, Rob and his team lead us and you guys singing to the Lord. And he just says, I, that I don't, I don't want to sing, but I see all these people that are, are singing. They want to sing it, but I don't want to sing. And I haven't wanted to sing, but I, but I want to sing now. Like, I want to know God. And it's just like, I mean, think, I mean, I had to then walk up and teach that night. And I was just broken over God just doing this amazing work, even just in my family. So thank you. He fight, yeah. He's, uh, he's fighting until you're found. He will leave the 99 for you. Ten of you know that, maybe more this weekend. And I know that's, that's not done. I know there are some of you that just, that you need to know that you're being fought over. You're being fought over, pursued by the God of the universe. He loves you. So we've been, uh, it's just been a really, just a, this has been, Katie and I were just talking. This just feels like home, coming back home and seeing you guys and seeing our, our family. I, you may not know who I am. I, I uh, worked here for 10 years and uh, got to be a part of the first one weekend in 2007. Don't go YouTube one week in 2007. That's a mistake, I promise. Because <laughs> there's some stuff on there you can't unsee. Um, and uh, we just, you know, we just said it's just been really beautiful and really nice. Just like, just like going home, you know. Uh, sometimes, actually all the time, the Lord never calls you just to stay home, you know. At some point, you got to leave out from your, your parents' home and you got to go start a home for yourself. And so the Lord called us out to do that with Narrative. Narrative is a, uh, we've developed a, a network essentially of micro churches, house churches, just just feeling like God has called us to lead a different expression of church, not a not a better, not the right way or anything like that, just a different so that we can kind of go into the cracks and crevices of society and just live sent. That's, that's our passion. That's what you guys tell yourselves, I, I found out at the end of every Sunday, is to live sent, that so we would go and we would be 
living the incarnation of Jesus where we live, work, and play, that we would go to the marginalized, we would go to the broken, we would go to the hurting, that we would go to the poor, and that we would do everything that we could to tell them that they're being fought over, that God will leave the 99, that there is no shadow he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up as he's coming after me, no lie he won't tear down. Right? Yeah. So... So, so we've been so so we've been doing this together. This is just, you know, the reminder that we've been saying all weekend long is that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, has the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, and it doesn't more so live in me, or more, more so live in Mike, or more so live in Rob, or Wade, or the leaders, the people that are up here on a on a platform. We're not the ones that walk up to the top of the mountain, hear from God, and come down and tell you what God says. That veil has been torn. We all have the access to everything of who God is and what God wants for us. We have that. You have that, and we forget that. And so we've just been doing this together this weekend. I'm teaching. I'm teaching these kids. How to get some soul, some amens, and some come ons. Mm hmm. Stink face when Jesus is speaking. Mm. So, we're going to do that this morning. We're going to teach them. Come on. But uh, we've been getting in the word together. What they've been doing in their, in their small groups, they haven't been given, the small group leaders weren't given all of these you know, things to lead and questions to teach and the kids are just receiving. We gave them a tool to learn how to lead and go through and walk someone through scriptures together. And so hopefully that's just like a, a, just a, a, a start of the journey for our, our students to be able to say, hey, I don't have to know all of these things. I can be really, uh, I can just kind of, fall short of, of maybe feeling competent to do this stuff. Like the Samaritan woman we talked about last night, where she just said, Jesus knows everything about me and he loves me. And then, and then her friend saying, are you sure he, he knows everything about, cause we know everything about you. She said, no, I know everything, but she didn't have to know everything about Jesus. But she said, Hey, just come follow me. Come. And so we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple. We are becoming fully obedient multipliers following Christ. Becoming. We talked Friday night about identifying where we are. Are we a disciple? Are we a complacent Christian? Are we a cultural Christian? We're just kind of taking on the surroundings, but we really haven't had a heart invasion. Or are we just watching and looking for something to satisfy us? And so we identify kind of where we are. But then we didn't say that's not, that's not where we stay because we are always becoming. God is always doing a good work in us. So what direction are we going? Are we willing to start to say, God, I'm willing to follow you. I know that you are the one that satisfies the longings of my heart. And we talked about how, to, how are we fully obedient disciples. We, wrote, we, we ripped open James 2, and James just kind of kicks you in the face. And he's like, hey, if you, if you say that you have a faith in Jesus, but you aren't doing something about it, then your faith is worthless. It is dead. It is no good to anybody. Even the demons have that kind of faith that they know that God exists. And the Samaritan woman, the multiplier, who should just say, Jesus has saved me. I need to go tell everybody that I can what God has done for me. And so we want to talk about how to follow Christ this morning. So as a part of doing this together... Knowing that you have the same power of God, the Spirit of God in you that is also in me, 
we're going to tear open some scripture together, and we're going to talk about that. So what I'm going to ask you to do, and these folks aren't uncomfortable with this, but you might be for a second. It's okay. I want you to take your Bible out. We're going to go to John chapter 5, and I want you to turn to three, four people, and I want you to read it. We're going to read that out loud. We're going to just read the scripture out loud all over the room. And, and, I, and we're going to discuss it just for a few minutes. We're going to read that out loud. Someone's going to read it. And then we're going to ask two questions. What does this say about God? And what does this say about man? Humanity. So John chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. And I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk about that. And then we're going to, we're going to actually kind of send some mics around. Because I want to hear what you feel like the Spirit is prompting for us to hear this morning. We want to hear what God's saying to you that maybe need to be heard from the, from the entire church this morning. So, all right, John 5, 1 to 9, turn, find some people to read this through. Ask those two questions. What does it say about God? What does it say about man? Go. All right, we already have a hand up. This is awesome. So what I, if, just lift up your hand. If you, if you just feel like God is prompting you to, to say something for us this morning as we're reading and diving, what does God want to say? What I got from this was that there is a town... And most of the people in there were hurt or disabled. And Jesus came and he um, he helped one of them. Basically, like he could help any of them. That's awesome. Yes, that's great. Thank you. Um, what I got from it was like that um, he takes us how we are. And um, mm. like whatever our past is, he can, he doesn't like judges by that and he heals us no matter what no matter what our past is and all of our mistakes good word man thank you yeah right here right here um what i got from it was when god commands you to do something or you think he is be faithful and like commit to that and be faithful in what he's trying to get across and be faithful in him yes yes come on uh let's right here yeah you shouldn't doubt God no matter how crazy odd seem that he could be healed from all diseases. And, like, the man was 
that say he was he was invalid. Yeah, yeah. And so, but he could still be healed. Come on, preach it, brother. Go ahead. It's on. <laughs> I know I unpressed it. Oh. <laughs> um, I really, I think my favorite part of this was he said the man who he helped said that no one else would help him, and Jesus helped the man that no one else would help. Yeah, yeah, come on. So, like, um, this passage really just shows God's, like, ability to heal. But I think um, you can relate it to our lives in that there's always something that paralyzes us in our faith. You know, there's always that one thing that keeps us from getting up and walking um, along Jesus, you know. But he calls us to get up and to walk in faith with him. Hey, let's just go home. All right, last one, right here. In this passage, it states that this man hadn't walked in eight years, and he'd never met Jesus ever in his life. This is just a stranger, and out of nowhere, he tells him just to, he listened to him, and then he's told him just to get up and stand, and he didn't question. He just blindlessly obeyed, and it worked. Yeah. He walked again. Yeah, praise God. That's awesome. Thank you. It's just been so, so good just to hear like the Spirit of God speaking through um, you guys this weekend. So let's dive into this together. Verse 1, chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Okay? So... Some people under, thought that, the, that this pool, you know, this, that when it was stirred, there was angels doing the stirring. And they had this thought, this idea that if they were the first ones to get into the pool, then they would be healed. And so that's why all the, the, the paralyzed and the lame were, were kind of laying around and they were wanting to be the first ones to get into the pool. And actually, some people were healed, okay? Or, or maybe they, they, they just thought they were healed, you know, who knows? could be kind of that placebo effect, like it's just kind of a mental thing. You kind of trick yourself into thinking that, like when you say... That you're sick and your parents say, hey, vegetables will really help you not be sick. And then you eat them you're like, I feel so much better. That doesn't really work, guys. Pizza makes it feel better. Just joking. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of that, hey, here's a pill. You know, it's just really a sugar pill. But just in your mind, it just kind of makes you feel better. So that's kind of what was happening here in verses 1 through 4. So verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and and knew that he had already been there a long time, he'd said to him, do you want to be healed? Or some of your translations may say, do you want to be well? What an interesting question. Why would Jesus even ask that question? This guy's been here for 38 years. And Jesus knows the heart of man. Why would he ask that question? I think that question is the cornerstone to the story this morning that we're reading. I think it might be the cornerstone to your story. The question that Jesus has for you this morning, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, 
and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you want to be well? Sir, I can't. Boom, healed. Whoa, what's, what's, what's happening here? That was, that seems to be a bizarre kind of exchange of conversation. But that question, do you want to be well? Some of us are, are, are stuck in our sickness. Some of us are stuck in our addictions. We're stuck in our guilt. We're stuck in our kind of wallowing, our anguish. Maybe it's something that you've brought into your life and that is just kind of like a chain for you. Or maybe it's something that you didn't have any control of, like divorce or death. But that sickness... And that stuckness is a very real thing. When we're sick, emotionally, physically, spiritually, our lives begin to kind of revolve around our sicknesses. And is is it not possible that some of us, that you and I, we prefer to kind of dwell in our victimization? We kind of play that that victim card. Like, it's just because this happened. And that's, I, I have the right to feel that way. Because of this, 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 and this. I I deserve to feel this way. That we've revolved so much of our life around our sickness and our stuckness that to do anything else is actually quite terrifying. To do anything else scares us. To actually say I want to be well is to actually say that I'm not well. And wow, is that hard to come out of our mouths to say that I'm actually not in control. This perceived thought that I'm wanting you to be convinced of that I'm in control. I actually have to confess that I'm not. I actually have to confess that there's something wrong. I have to confess that there's a sickness. Mark Buchanan, he's an author and he's a psychiatrist. He's a believer. He says, sickness can actually steal the place of God. It can become the sick person's center, the touchstone by which he defines himself. Illness is a tyrant with huge territorial ambitions. It is a seductress with large designs. It wants not only the sick person's body, but it wants his heart and his mind. Also, that sickness becoming our identity. What a sneaky way for the enemy to create an idol in our lives. Right? Come on. What a sneaky way for us to all of a sudden substitute the thing that we should be putting our identity in, which is God and the person of Jesus, and we're replacing it with our stuckness, our sickness, our brokenness. But you see, the first step to the journey of following Christ, of being a disciple, is actually the admission that we are powerless that we are not in control. That, that we don't have enough to muster up to follow truly Jesus. To give Jesus everything that we have. It's where no one wants to go and no one wants to go voluntarily. We have to be led there by our own failures and our experiences and death. The New Testament calls it the way of the cross. Carrying our cross. 
an instrument of death and torture, dying to ourselves. Powerlessness is an experience that every single one of us, you and I, both, all of us, experience, if we will just be sincere about it. Bill Wilson, he founded uh, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. He said it like this. He said, we're not very good at such humble honesty. It's much easier just to live in denial. It seems we're not free to be honest or even aware because most of our garbage is actually buried in the unconscious. We don't even tend to it. We don't even know it's there. So it's absolutely necessary that we find a spirituality that reaches that hidden level. If not, then nothing really changes. You see... If being a Christian and, and coming to church is about behavior modification for you, you know, what I'm, you know what I mean by that? Just like changing your actions, trying to be a better person, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, do better at reading the Bible, do better at praying, do better at, you know, whatever, serving. If that's what being a Christian is about, is just this kind of moral, I'm trying, it's just, I gotta be in this moral environment then we're, we're missing it completely. That is a fragile, futile, weak, doesn't hold water foundation. It's deeply seated and it can't be corrected by you and me. I cannot muster up enough will to really change. Right? We all know it. We all know it. We've all tried it. I run so hard all the time, just hit that brick wall every time. Now, perhaps, you know, while we recognize the powerlessness and the brokenness that we have, perhaps the the opposite was true of the invalid. He actually had found his identity in this, which is also dangerous and untrue. Could, could it be that he was putting all of his life and all of his, um, the, the image of who he is in that very thing? And then Jesus comes up to him and he says, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? We have to constantly live in this this tension of not putting our identity in that, but then also realizing that we are weak and cleaning that out. If we don't don't tend to that, if we don't clean that out, if we're not confessing that to one another, then it sticks. And all of a sudden, over time, you're more sticks and more sticks, and all of a sudden, you don't even know who you are. And the people around you don't really know who you are. And you've played that hiding game for so long that you, you're, you're terrified to confess it because you've shown yourself as someone who has it in control. But if we're all sincere, we, we know that we don't have that all control. We know that we're powerless. And Jesus is the one that says, without exception, I know all of your weaknesses I know all of your sicknesses and I love you fully and I'm never going to give up on you and I will see this through with you till the very end because you are my beloved. You are my bride and I have a commitment to you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and nothing in this world will ever separate my love for you. The deepest, darkest depths of our sin, grace runs down fully into those things. Amen? Amen? Yeah. That's our God. All right, so let's go back to our friend on the mat. In the shadow of the colonnades, in a sea of outcasts and other invalids looking straight into the face of the God of the universe. 
He's almost without hope. He's a prisoner of his own despair. There's self-pity in his response, and he has this I can't attitude. Do you want to be well? I can't, Jesus. People keep getting up in front of me. I can't do it. He doesn't say yes. Jesus didn't say, hey, do you want to be well? And you would think the man's response would be like, well, yeah, I've been here for 38 years. I'm t- like, of course I want to be well. He doesn't say no. He, so he didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He says, I can't. And, and, and somehow in that exchange, that elicited Jesus' response to heal this man. Well, wow, that, that came from nowhere. Why? Maybe there's something beautiful about I can't. You see, I can't and I won't are two different things, right? We know that. I won't. No, Jesus, you're asking me to give this up. The people around me, my leaders, they're asking me to to do this. You're asking me to step out and disciple somebody to be a multiplier? I won't do that. It's too uncomfortable. Okay. We serve a God who has put everything at risk when he created man and woman out of the dust to not create an army of just puppets who are going to worship him, but to create a people who have to choose to love him. And he never forces himself up on us. And so that's the risk he took. And his heart breaks day after day after day after day. But that's what real love is. So he won't force himself on you when you say that I won't. Ah, but I can't. I can't's different. You see, God uses all kinds of I can't people. Mary, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. <laughs> what? I, you know that I can't do that, Jesus, or God. You know, like, this, how, how is that possible? I'm a teenage, unwed virgin. How is that possible? Gideon, won't you step out on that threshing floor and lead? I can't. Moses, I'm choosing you to lead my people out of slavery. I I, I can't. That joke didn't go well the first service either, Mike. He has a stutter. That's why I said it like that. Scratch that next time. <laughs> but I can't. I think Jesus likes I can't. I think he likes I can't. I can't is the 101 of our faith. It's the admission that I'm not in control of the universe, that I can't solve my own problems, that I'm in need, which makes me receptive and it makes me vulnerable. And the moment the lame man is telling Jesus that he can't, guess what he finds out? That Jesus can't. That Jesus can step in and do what he can't do. I can do all things through Christ. 38 years of laying on this mat. 38 years of a shriveled up, broken body. 38 years of seeing these people come before me, in front of me, and being healed. 38 years through all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't. Jesus can. Come on. He can. can. Jesus makes a new human like he did the very first day of creation. 
When him and the Father and the Spirit are together, breathing life out of the dust into mankind, he's making a, a new creation this day with his invalid, and he's doing the very same thing all over the world for people who say that I can't. You see, our faith is different, different than anything else that you'll ever find in the world. Every other job, every school, every test, every single relationship, there's always some kind of earning to be in that place, to receive something. You've got to earn something. But our, 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 our I can't as Christians is the very thing that Jesus is waiting for so that he can change our lives, so that he can do an amazing work through us. Rise. Be changed. Take up your mat, your story, and walk. You're a new creation. Jesus is, is endlessly disruptive. If Those of you who gave your life to Jesus for the first time this weekend, just get ready. I'm not sugarcoating nothing for you guys. He is disruptive. And if you tell him that you want to be well, that you want to be healed, you just wait. He's going to wreck you. And it's good. It's how you were meant to live. He's going to show you what true freedom is. True freedom is not autonomy. It's not just being able to do whatever I want to do. True freedom is submission to what I was made and created for. He's going to show you how he feels about injustice. He's going to give you an identity. He's going to give you meaning in life. He's going to give you purpose. Jesus is endlessly disruptive. So be careful when you ask, when you answer the question, do you want to be healed? Or do you just want to stay on the mat? I mean, I think that was probably a real thing the dude had to ask himself. I mean, he knows that mat really well. 38 years. I have this thread right here that I really like to rub and this is the best way that I like to lay on my mat. This is a very, this is my mat. And this is all I've known for 38 years. Just like that mat that we, I mean, we have to really ask, answer that question. Is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it for God to disrupt my life? Because I'm, because I, I know how to, to live in this. And yes, I feel incomplete. And yes, I, um, I, I know that I'm broken, but like, I don't know how to give this thing up. Did you know that Jesus' disciples, these men, considered saints who would change the world and later heal many of those same lame outcasts who contributed to the Bible, the most read and published book in the history of the world? Did you know that most of them were young men, teenagers, all coming from three little villages on a lake in a tiny enslaved country near the backside of an empire and were reading one of his, their letters today? Why these guys? Jesus wasn't desperate, but it sure seemed like it. Why these guys? I don't know. I don't know. Why you? Why me? Because he needs people who say that I can't. All I know is regardless of who you are, his grace runs down to the deepest sickness of the soul to the darkest corner of the heart and it's whispering the question hey do you want to be well 
answer. In starting this whole journey um, of narrative um, was really hard because my wife and I deeply, deeply, deeply loved what we were doing here. Um, but God was calling us to something, and we were just wrestling with it. And so um, it just happened that I had a sabbatical coming up, and I got to spend like seven weeks with different churches kind of around the nation, churches that I really just had kind of put into this category of they have it figured out. And they're, I mean, they're, they're big, amazing churches. And I got to be in staff meetings. I got to kind of see the behind-the-scenes stuff. And all of a sudden, I started feeling this, like, bitterness. Because I was seeing stuff that just, it, they weren't what I thought they were. And there's just, it's just messy. Church after church after church after church, person after person I was talking to. And I was, I was growing bitter. Which, by the way, is the worst place to be if God's calling you to plant a church. Because you know what you start telling yourself? I can do better than that. And that's what I started telling myself. guess I got to fix it. And at the last stop that, that I made in Nashville, this pastor was actually preaching out of this passage, which is why this passage has been so vital. It's been an anchor for my wife and I. And like a, like a lightning bolt of grace, he speaks and he asks me, do you want to be well? And I justifiably could have stayed in this place where I'm like, do you see this mess, God? Do you see this? I should be mad. I should be bitter. And I really wanted to hang on to that, but I just felt the Spirit of God say this very thing. This is my bride. Yes, she is a whore. She's a prostitute. She gives herself over to many things that are not me. But I love her. And I love you. And I need your I can't. So that I can. And in that moment, I fell back in love with the bride of Christ and all of her messiness because I'm, I, that's me. And I just felt this, this, Okay, God is sending us out not to do something better, but to just be willing to kind of step out in this place and say, I don't know, God. Another part of the anchor in that story is God clearly telling me, hey, this is me, but you don't get to know what's next. And you have to trust me. Well, crap. Because <laughs> I really like for it to be laid out. In fact, I really like to be in control. I really like to know what's happening. And so the Lord rakes me over the coals over and over and over and over again in John 15, 5. I am the vine, the source of everything that you need, the source of everything that is good in this world. That is me. You are a branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing, God? Really? Nothing? Really? Nothing? Come on. Are you watching how awesome I am? No, nothing. And there's been heartache after heartache after heartache. 
in our journey in this life. And it's going to be the same thing for you. You follow Jesus, you're going to live in anguish. You're going to have a, just your gut wrenched. You're going to have your teeth kicked in. You're going to be attacked and you're going to be battled over. If you're not experiencing that, you need to start asking the question, are you following Jesus? Because the enemy didn't just stand to the side when someone faithfully steps up and says, God, whatever you have for me, I'm going. I'm going to tell people. I'm going to be a multiplier. I'm going to obey you at all costs. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. He didn't just stand idly by. He attacks you. And so you got to think deep and hard if you want to be well. If your answer is yes, if today your answer is yes for the very first time, what a great day to start this relationship with a Jesus, with a God that can all things through Christ. All things. If you're sitting here just doubting every bit of your ability you you don't have the answers you don't have the personality to disciple somebody, to lead somebody to walk someone through scripture you have forgotten your first love you have forgotten the very power that lives in you is the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead you have forgotten that you are the church that you are his plan you have forgotten that the temple does not exist in these four walls the temple is the spirit of God in you you are carrying the temple out into the broken world that we live in what a messy world we live in I'm not afraid of it what better time for the church to stand up and be the church than right now What better time for the church to say that Jesus is good news when all we see and hear is bad news. That's our responsibility. That's not Grace Point's programs. That's not narratives, house churches. It's us, the church. The church is being put back in your hands. I believe Aslan is on the move. I really believe that God is in the move in our culture, in our society. You see this brokenness. We're supposed to step up, church. We're supposed to step up and be the church. And when you walk out of here, you may be kind of excited, and then all of a sudden you're going to be like, but I can't. Exactly. Exactly. Jesus Christ took upon himself every bit of your I can't on the cross. still. Let's pray. Let's, uh... If you would with me, let's just take a deep breath and uh, let's put our hands out. Let's put our palms down. And would you just admit to God that you're weak? And with your palms down, would you just tell God, I'm laying down it my sickness, all of my brokenness, all of my failures, God, all of the things that keep me from following you. I want to lay those at your feet, and I don't even know what to do with this, God, but I can't tell them.
person in this room, every follower of you in this room, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would wash over them, that you would remind them every single day that you have not given up on them and you will never forsake them. And that you are with them wherever they go, Lord God. And I pray as we are having our hands out that we are laying these things at your altar, Lord God, that idols would be broken, that chains would be broken, destroyed in the name of Jesus. God, we would live in this resurrected power, Lord God. We are weak. We cannot help ourselves. We need your help, Lord God. So we trust you. It's your great name that we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.